The message this morning then is the cancer of complacency. The cancer of complacency. It's interesting how uh, the Lord prepares you for certain assignments. If there was ever such a thing as Cancer Awareness Week, it, it was the week that I was putting preparation into this message. Uh, that particular week started off with us being up at the McGackiesville congregation. I preached there that morning. And uh, Glendon and Sharla King were there that morning. They, they aren't able to make it every Sunday morning. It just depends how, how she's doing. But they were there that morning. And so uh, that was meaningful to us, and, and we got to talk to them and, and, and shared with them a little bit and encouraged them and, and heard about her condition and, and so forth. And then uh, on Tuesday of that week, uh, when I was at the bakery, uh, a lady that's been a regular customer for years, Joan, uh, she came in that morning, and uh, she's usually a very cheerful lady, upbeat and, and that, that nature, and she came up to the counter, and, and she said, um, she said, Josh, will you please pray for me? She said, I, I just got word that my cancer is back again, and I, I said, really? Well, I'm so sorry to hear that, Joan. I, I wasn't aware that you had, that you had had cancer before. Yeah, she said, it, it's been eight years, that, and, and she's been uh, completely free as far as she knew up to this point. She goes back for her regular, you know, her whatever it is, every six months or every year or whatever, to her checkups, and, and it's, yeah, she's been cancer-free all these years, and so she thought it was, it was gone for good. But, but she was just told that it's back again, and, it's, and it's, it's back fairly bad. And so, yeah, I said, well, Joan, we'll, we'll pray for you, yeah. And then I guess it was just the very next day, uh, on, on Wednesday of that week, that I was looking at the local newspaper that evening, and, uh, and I glanced at the obituaries. I, I didn't used to do that as much, but as I know people in the community and so forth, I, I kind of developed that habit. I was feeling more like my dad all the time, I guess, talking about the obituaries. But, but um, I happened to, to see this particular obituary, in, in our local paper, Mindy Dare Tysinger Yancey. And it uh, and had, a, had a picture of her there, a very bright, cheerful-looking lady with a big smile and, and, and young, look, looked young. And, and so I looked over the obituary, and uh, I noticed that it was a young lady from a, a local family, a family that you could say is perhaps well-known in, in our community. Her, her dad is Bob Tysinger. And I read down a little bit over the obituary. Uh, she was a 1992 graduate of Halifax County Senior High School where she was homecoming queen, a cheerleader, and one of the best shortstops any softball team ever had. Uh, she graduated from Radford University uh, with a bachelor in criminal justice. Through her entire life in school, at work, everywhere, Mindy's magnetism drew everyone to her. She made everyone feel they mattered and helped er anyone with anything they needed. She had a wit and a charm and intelligence and beauty not often found in such great quantities in one individual, but Mindy had it all, the obituary read. 
According to the world standard, what a, what a picture of perfection. <laughs> I mean, she had it all. Every, every, everything you, a young girl could have wanted, perhaps, you could say, according to uh, the world standards. But, but cancer killed her. Cancer killed her. 42 years of age. You know, cancer is no respecter of persons. It comes to the young, it comes to the middle age, it comes to the old. And it, it comes secretly, you could say, and then silently it begins to do its work. And oftentimes, by the time it's detective, uh, by the time it's detected, uh, the victim's doom has been sealed. It's, it's oftentimes too late at that point. And cancer kills, but not fast. Now, what I mean by not fast is not usually overnight, or not within a couple days. But it slowly eats away at the body. It slowly squeezes that, that spark and that zeal out of a person. Until many times their very life is just snuffed out. That's the, the grim work of cancer. I read that cancer is the second leading cause of death uh, in our country each year. It's, it's just right behind uh, heart diseases. It kills over a half million people every year in the United States. And no doubt you know people personally that have died from cancer. I mean, cancer has, has, has affected probably every one of us in this room, whether it's a, a relative or a close family member or a friend, or someone that we know of pretty close has dealt with cancer, and, and many of them have, have died of cancer as well. Uh, but it, it, seems like, it's, it seems like cancer is sort of running wild. You know, there's also a cancer that is running wild in our churches today. And I read this quote from Dr. William Burnham. He says, this cancer has been responsible for the death of thousands of individuals and countless churches over the years. It is responsible for these congregations closing their doors and ending their ministries forever. And today, if this cancer is not addressed or confronted, it will be lethal to the very existence of Christ's church as he intended it to be. Make no mistake, the church will go on. And as Jesus said, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. However, many congregations will fail to live up to their potential and many will fail to exist altogether if this cancer is not dealt with. This cancer has a name, complacency. Complacency has been called the curse of Christendom. It paralyzes the church. It is seen in lukewarmness among the church's leadership and members. In fact, this cancer is far worse on the church than on any form of outright rebellion. If ignored, the cancer of complacency leads to death in 100% of the cases. But if confronted, it can be conquered and cured. End of quote. The cancer of complacency. For a springboard to this message, turn to Matthew 24. Matthew 24, verses 12 and 13. And here in this passage, Jesus is 
giving a number of, of signs of the last times, you could say. Signs of the end of the age. And here is what he says as we read it in verses 12 and 13. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. Jesus makes it clear that in the last days, there will be those who were once on fire for the Lord, those who, who, who once were, were leaders in the church perhaps, those who were once teaching Sunday school, those who were once uh, seeming to be on fire for the Lord, had a vision for the work of the church. He said, in the last days, there will be people like that who will lose out. There will be people like that who will grow cold in their relationship with Him. But Jesus also gives a recipe for success. A recipe to fight against that. And that is endure. Endure to the end. Keep the faith. He that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. With this in mind, it's important, it's vitally important that from time to time uh, we take spiritual inventory of our life. How are we doing? How are our spiritual vital signs? Are they alive and well? And, this, and so this morning I would like us to, to check our temperature, as it were. Check our spiritual temperature. You know, oftentimes that's the best way to confirm if you're really sick or not. Uh, you might not feel exactly right, but, but you don't know for sure. And, and so then, well, let me take my temperature. And you take your temperature and it says, well, your temperature is, you know, 101.3. Okay, I'm sick. Now I know. It, it reminds me of back in the early part of January when our family was hit so bad. And I know there's some families recently that have, have been struggling as well. But we were, we were kind of down and out for about a two-week stretch. And so, you know, we'd come back from, from vacation, from uh, Christmas and New Year's vacation. It's time to get back to school. And, and, and so every morning, it seemed like, we, we ran this, this little, this little uh, thing of, of seeing who can go to school or not. You know, so Miles and Lucas and Ian, they'd come, you know, stumbling up the steps. And, and so we'd say, okay, Miles, how do you feel? Oh, I'm pretty good, pretty good. Okay, well, let's take your temperature. So, you know, we'd take his temperature. Deet, deet, deet. Look at it. Oh, oh, that says, that says 100.2. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm not feeling very good. Yeah, okay, you go back downstairs. Okay, the next one. And we would do that, you know, Lucas, how are you feeling? Oh, I think I'm pretty good. Check it, you know, way, you know, way, way high. Yeah, yeah I'm not feeling, you know. And it just, it went like that day after day. You know what I mean. It's just so deflating, <laughs> so discouraging. Um, but, you know, up until the temperature was was taken, they weren't really sure. And so that temperature gave a, gave a little insight into their real condition. Well, I asked you this morning, what is your temperature? Have you taken your spiritual temperature recently? And let's turn to Revelation chapter 3 now for, for somewhat of a text, at least for the first part of this message. Revelation chapter 3, and here we have the letter to the church at Laodicea. Starting at verse 14 of Revelation 3, And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, 
These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm, and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich, and increased with goods, and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched, and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Now, it's important that we note here at the very beginning who's talking. Uh, That makes a big difference. Who's talking? Uh, For example, if, if we had had supper there at our home, and, and after supper, as the children often do, they ran out to play. Okay, now it's about 8 o'clock, and it's time to get the children back in. It's, it's time to start thinking about bedtime. So I would send Miles out, and, I would, and, and Miles would say, Children, it's time to come in now. What do you think they would say? Who said? <laughs> Who said? <laughs> and if, if Miles would say, Well... <laughs> I just think it's time for y'all to come in now because it's that time. They wouldn't give him the time of day. (laughs) They would just keep right on playing. But if Miles said, Dad said, (laughs) they would start hustling back into the house. You see, it it depends who's talking. They know that that Dad holds a little bit more authority and and holds maybe a bigger stick than, than Miles does. And so that makes a difference. Well, here we see who's talking right from the very beginning. The amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. This was none other than Jesus Christ himself that was talking. This was a letter from Jesus. These were, these were Jesus' words, and that made a big difference as they thought about what was being said here. Now let's note here a bit about the, the city of Laodicea. Laodicea was a, was a big commercial center with many businesses. Uh, it was a center for banking. They manufactured a lot of clothes in Laodicea. They also made a lot of medicines. And it's interesting to note that one of the medicines that they were well known for, they were famous for, was ISAV. Uh, Jesus mentioned here that they need a little bit of their own medicine <laughs> here. Uh, they made ISAV. Now, there's another part of Laodicea that we cannot overlook. It's very important, and that is the water. The water at Laodicea was nasty water. It was nasty water. Uh, One of the main reasons is that it was very high in mineral content, and so it tasted bad. It probably smelled bad. Maybe it was kind of like the water out in Elida, Ohio. (laughs) I remember from from little on up, we'd go out there to visit, and you'd walk into the church, and that church stank. It smelled like rotten eggs, and it, it was the water. The water had that, that sulfur water, whatever you call it. 
But here, the water in Laodicea was nasty water. And so, because of, and, and also, we're going to note another thing about their water. You see, because their water was bad, they got water from, from other places. And so, Colossae was over here a few miles, and, and Colossae had good cold water. And so, they piped that water from Colossae to Laodicea. But now, by the time the water got to Laodicea, it wasn't cold anymore. It was just lukewarm water. It was just warm water, okay? Now, it's interesting to note that, that a few miles over on this side was Herapolis. And Herapolis had hot water. They were known for their hot springs. And even today, uh, Herapolis is, is somewhat of a tourist attraction because of their hot springs. So on one side you had cold water, on one side you had hot water, but here at Laodicea, their water was nasty and it was lukewarm. Now, the city of Laodicea was also very wealthy. And in fact, when it was badly destroyed by an earthquake around AD 60, uh, it refused government funds to help rebuild. They said, no, no, we don't need the help of Rome to take care of it. We can do it ourselves. We've got all the money we need. We'll take care of it. And so they repaired uh, the damaged parts of the city all by themselves without government help. Now, as we look at this passage, we note that the church was also very wealthy. Uh, the church boasted of being rich and increased with goods. Uh, they said, we don't have any needs. They were just very satisfied. They were very, very pleased with where they were in life. And I can imagine that they dressed very finely. And they probably had a, a fancy looking church building. However, it appears that their material riches blinded their eyes to their real needs, to their spiritual needs. And Jesus said here that you're not what you think you are. They said, oh, we're fine. We don't need anything. We've got all the money we need. Just look at us. Jesus said, uh-uh, no. Jesus said, really, you're wretched. You're miserable. You're poor. You're blind. You're naked. You're in terrible shape, Jesus said. But the part that I want us to remember most about Laodicea, about the church at Laodicea, that was their temperature. Verse 16. So then, because thou art lukewarm, and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth, Jesus said. The church at Laodicea, was, they were just lukewarm. There was no real fire there. They were just lukewarm. Now, there at my work at the, at the bake shop, we are, we are warned about the dangers of lukewarm foods. You know, the inspectors come in once or twice a year, and they bring their little temperature probes, and they, they stick it in the tomatoes, and they stick it in the chicken salad, and they check the soups, and then they check, you know, the refrigerators and the freezers. They check all those things, and they tell us in no uncertain terms that Cold foods must stay cold, and hot foods must stay hot. I mean, if it's in the middle, you're in, you're in trouble. That's when you have problems with germs and, and food poisoning and all that type of thing. But the hot foods, they've got to be above a certain temperature. The cold foods have to be below a certain temperature. It's for your own safety and for the good of your business and for the safety of others. And, and then they give us these little posters. That, we, that we're supposed to stick on the wall at different places. And, and, it's, and it's a picture of, of little germs, little men, little, little 
little men that are supposed to look like germs. And so, you know, way up here on the top of the thermometer are these little guys, and they're just going, <laughs> you know, like they're, they're so, they're just burning up. And then on the bottom of the thermometer, they're, they're just going like, <laughs> like this. But in the middle, they're just, <laughs> they're just going like this. They're just having a ball. And, and, and it's, that's where they like to be, you know, those germs, because they can thrive there. They can live there in, in the lukewarm part of the temperature. Now, the truth is that being lukewarm in our relationship with the Lord uh, is also a very, very dangerous place to be. And let me say, lukewarm foods are oftentimes deceptive. They might not look bad. I mean, they might not be green or blue or anything. They still might look like the real deal, but they'll get you <laughs> if, they're, if they're not right. And you know, in our spiritual life, sometimes lukewarmness can be deceptive. Hey, we, look at me. I, I look fine. Do I look any different? I'm, I'm dressing right. I'm talking right. I'm acting right. I must be right, right? <laughs> it's not always like that. There's deception there. Jesus said, because you are lukewarm, I will spew thee out of my mouth. And that term, spew, is, is a very strong term. It, it's, it's that of vomit. It's that this is, this is nasty. Get out! I don't want any part of you. It's, it's, that, it's that picture. In other words, it, it makes Jesus feel sick. Ugh, I can't stomach that. It's sickening. You know, on a hot summer day, there's nothing better than just an ice-cold glass of water. And, and on a cold winter day, uh, there's nothing better than just a piping hot cup of coffee. And that's how we like it, cold in the summer and, and hot in the winter. But, but if, if, it, if that cold water is just lukewarm in the summer, uh, it's just not, you know, it's not right. And if the coffee is just barely warm, mm, we don't like that either. We, we want it hot and cold. You see... The people at Laodicea, they listened. Yeah, they listened, but there was only half-hearted response. They had no real zeal. They had no real warmth or enthusiasm. They were just lukewarm. They were just lukewarm, and they were indifferent to the great truths of Scripture. It just didn't mean a whole lot to them. Now let's be clear, dear people. The people at Laodicea Mennonite Church were not complacent in all areas of life. They weren't complacent in their businesses. And we know that clearly. Money doesn't come easy. And we know that they were well off. They were well off. They weren't complacent in their businesses. They weren't complacent, I'm guessing, in their hobbies. They weren't complacent in their shopping. They weren't complacent in a number of areas of life. But they were complacent when it came to their Christian life. You see, it was a matter of wrong priorities. Other things were just more important to them than their spiritual life. And so we could say that really uh, the real sin here was, was that of idolatry. Where something had taken the place of God. 
God was no longer the number one position in their life. It was other things. It was their business. It was whatever you might say. But it wasn't God. That's not where the focus was. And I'm sure that they had plenty of church activities. And I'm sure that their services were laid out real nice. And they might have had a choir that could sing real pretty. But because their members were only lukewarm in their relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus said, I want no part of you. I want no part of you. You know, dear people, there is no person that is more difficult to reach than the one who is just self-satisfied and complacent and blind to their own condition. <laughs> they don't need anything. It doesn't, matter how, it doesn't matter how bad they look or what they've done. They, they, they don't think they need anything. And you can talk to them about their need of the Lord. And they say, well, I go to church. And, and they'll say various things, but they don't think they have any needs. And I've met people like that different times. But there's a tendency for all of us to just become okay with where we are in our spiritual life. And we, leave, we live such a busy life of running here and there and doing this and that. And, and, and I think that sometimes we just assume that that our relationship with the Lord is just going just gonna to work itself out. It's just going to go along with us. As long as we're doing good things for the Lord, as long as we're involved in the work of the church, that our relationship with the Lord will just follow that. Follow that busyness. But it won't. It just doesn't work that way. Instead, our relationship with the Lord takes effort. It takes work. It takes daily maintenance. By the way, what does it take for an ice-cold glass of water to become lukewarm? Or what does it take for a, piping hot cut of, for a piping hot cup of coffee to become lukewarm? What does it take? Nothing. It, it just takes time. It takes nothing but time. You see, it takes effort to keep a glass of water cold. You know, if you have a glass of water there, you keep putting ice in it. Keep that thing cold. But if, 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 if you do nothing, the ice slowly melts, and, and slowly that cup of water reverts back to room temperature over time. And the same with your coffee. I mean, now, yeah, you can, you can put it in the microwave, you can keep that thing hot, but if you do nothing about it, it's just going to go back to lukewarm, room temperature. It's the same way for us in our spiritual life. Someone has said that all that is necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. For good men to do nothing. And that's exactly where Satan would like all of us to be. Just simply doing nothing with our Christian life. He would like us to feel satisfied with where we are in life. He would like us to stay busy enough doing good things. Uh, that we, ne we neglect our personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And slowly but surely, we become lukewarm. We become room temperature, you could say, just like society around us. Everything around us. We just sort of revert to the climate of the day. Yeah, we still go to church. And we still dress the right way, and we still go through the motions, and, and, and we do all that thing. But we can go home then with the same emptiness that we had because something is missing inside. 
there's something that's just not right inside. It's, it's not something on the outside. It's something on the inside. You know, verses 19 through 21 are such a blessing. And I, I note that even in our sinfulness, Jesus is, is calling. Jesus loves us. And he's pleading to have a relationship with us. He's saying, child, I love you. I love you. And he wants to come and be in our life. He wants to be that, that, central, that central figure in our life. And there's a promise to those who overcome. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne. <laughs> wow. Wow. What a, what a promise. Something to look forward to. To those who endure to the end. That promise. You know, perhaps you've seen that, that famous old painting, that picture of Jesus standing at the door knocking. He's standing at the door knocking. And there's a, there's a light there. Have you ever noticed that on that, on that painting, there's no, there's no doorknob on the outside? I recently read that in preparation for this, for this sermon. I, I, I never actually noticed that. But see, someone, and then reading, reading about that, someone asked the painter about that, and he said, well, he said, sir, you're the one that has to open the door. Jesus won't, Jesus won't force himself into your life. You have to open the door. Therefore, there's no doorknob on that side. But Jesus is there knocking. Hey, this is Jesus. Can I come in? I promise I, I, I'll give you blessing and reward and, and joy in life. And he's patiently waiting. You know, Jesus Christ is looking for, for a burning zeal. He's looking for hearts that are sold out to him. He's looking for people who are passionate about living for the Lord. People who have, who have the end in mind, who have, who have a focus of heavenly things, who are not so caught up in the things on the earth that they are, that they are missing the bigger picture. And so each of us this morning needs to examine our spiritual temperature. We need to examine our lives. Where am I at this morning? What is my temperature? Am I on fire for the Lord? Or are there areas of lukewarmness? Are there areas of complacency uh, that are creeping in? I would like you to turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 15. 2 Chronicles chapter 15. I would like to spend the next few minutes thinking about the cure for complacency. You know, when a brother or sister cools off in their spiritual life, or when a brother or sister starts coasting, you could say, in their spiritual life, or when they stumble and fall into sin, 
dear people, mark it down. The cause is a, a lack of zealous desire for God and His Word. There's a lack of desire for God and His Word. How often have you heard a testimony like this? Uh, you know, someone might get up in church or, or somewhere and they say, hey, please pray for me. I've been really struggling with this certain thing and, 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 and I've been struggling with this sin and, and I, I've, been, I've been falling into sin in this area and I, ha I have not been doing what's right and I just can't figure it out because I've been reading the Bible every day and I've been, I've been having a really vibrant relationship with the Lord. I've been fasting and praying and, and, and I've just been having such a meaningful relationship with the Lord but I, I'm just completely falling. You don't hear, you don't hear testimonies like that. <laughs> no. In, instead, you hear testimonies like this. Pray for me. I, I'm, I've been struggling. I've been, I've been falling into sin in this area. And I know I haven't been keeping up with my walk with the Lord. I know that I, I haven't been reading the Word like I should. I haven't been praying like I should. <laughs> that's, that's, that's what we hear. That's usually the root cause for our falling into sin or our problems in life. There's a, there's a falling away from maintaining our relationship with Jesus Christ. There's a lack of zealous desire, I say, for God and His Word. And I say the cure for complacency, dear people, is to keep current with Christ. The cure for complacency is having a red-hot zeal for God and His Word. For having a passion for the things of God. Having a passion and a love for the church. And that's made obvious by your support, by your attendance, by your willingness to help. You're there when you're needed. You know, you will always find enough time in each day to do what is most important to you. And, and, and think about that just a moment. And you might think, well, I don't know, I've had some busy days where I didn't get done what I wanted to do. Well, you did something, didn't you? <laughs> You did something. I mean, take, for example, if, if, you know, if I went through a day of work and it was just so busy that I didn't get around to eat, and later that evening I told my wife, you know, I never got lunch eaten today, and, and, and I wanted to eat lunch. And she said, well, why didn't you eat lunch? Well, I was just too busy working. Well, then I guess the work was more important than the food, right? You know, I mean, if we really wanted to eat, if that was more important than the work, we probably would have ate a little something. I'm just saying you'll always find enough time in each day to do what is really most important to you. And so, I ask you, if you were to, if you were to pick a number uh, stating your, your desire for God and His Word, with, with ten being the highest, one being the lowest, and, and you were to, to tell me uh, how you're doing in your spiritual life, what number would you, what number would you say? Uh, would it be a, a six? Would it be an eight? Would it be a ten? A two? Where, where would you be at as you evaluate your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And then I asked you, would your life confirm this? Uh, would your checkbook confirm this? Would your hobbies confirm it? Would your friends confirm this? So if I would, if, if you would say, well, I, I'm a nine. And so then I'd go and say, now, now, George, Billy said that, he said a nine. What do you think? And, and George would go, What? A nine? Well, that's not consistent with what I saw him do last Friday. Or would he say, 
He said a nine. He's right. I agree with that. Billy is making efforts to live right with the Lord. He is saying no to the flesh. He is saying yes to the Spirit. There's things in Billy's life that is different. You know, how, how, how is it with us? And I'm blessed over and over. We'll get to 2 Chronicles real soon. I'm blessed over and over with David's desire for God. David was a man that, no, he wasn't perfect, but David had a desire for God and his word and for the things of God. David was a man who was quick to say, I'm sorry, and come back to God when he was faced with failure, when he was faced with his own sin. Uh, Psalm 63.1, O God, Thou art my God, early will I seek Thee. My soul thirsteth for Thee, my flesh longeth for Thee, in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. He also said, who, Whom have I in heaven but Thee? And there is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. Jesus also said in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. They shall be filled. You know, we use those words, want and love. Sometimes I want this, and I want Jesus, and I want ice cream, and I, I love my job. And... And sometimes they just, they're so light. We just use them so, so lightly. The words that I hear, that I mentioned here in these few verses, are words like thirsting, longing, hungering. They're words that, that give such a deep picture. It's so much deeper than like want and, and love, you know, like we use it sometimes and, and that type of thing. Uh, they carry with them a sense of real commitment it's a willingness to, I'll sacrifice things for this. Because I, I need it that bad. Jesus promises fulfillment to those who truly seek after Him with the whole heart. Those who are willing to give up what is maybe special to them for the good of their spiritual life. And that brings us here to 2 Chronicles chapter 15. It's a story that I am so blessed with. It's a beautiful picture of people who desired God with all their hearts. They were faced with their need. They were faced with their sin. And let's see what they did about it. It's so beautiful. Second Chronicles 15, And the Spirit of God came upon Azariah, the son of Oded, and he went out to meet Asa and said unto him, Hear ye me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you while ye be with him. And if ye seek him, he will be found of you. But if ye forsake him, he will forsake you. Now for a long season Israel hath been without the true God, and without a teaching priest, and without law. But when they in their trouble did turn unto the Lord God of Israel and sought him, he was found of them. And in those times there was no peace to him that went out, nor to him that came in. But great vexations were upon all the inhabitants of the countries. And nation was destroyed of nation, and city of city, for God did vex them with all adversity. Be ye strong, therefore, and let not your hands be weak, for your work shall be rewarded. And when Asa heard these words and the prophecy of Oded the prophet, he took courage, and he put away the abominable idols out of all the land of Judah and Benjamin, and out of the cities which he had taken from Mount Ephraim, and he renewed the altar of the Lord that was before the porch of the Lord. And he gathered all Judah and Benjamin and the strangers with them out of Ephraim and Manasseh and out of Simeon, for they fell to him out of Israel in abundance when they saw that the Lord his God was with him. 
So they gathered themselves together at Jerusalem in the third month, in the fifteenth year of the reign of Asa, and they offered unto the Lord the same time of the spoil which they had brought, seven hundred oxen and seven thousand sheep. And they entered into a covenant to seek the Lord God of their fathers with all their heart and with all their soul, that whosoever would not seek the Lord God of Israel should be put to death, whether small or great, whether man or woman. And they swear unto the Lord with a loud voice and with shouting and with trumpets and with cornets. And all Judah rejoiced at the oath, for they had sworn with all their heart and sought him with their whole desire. And he was found of them, and the Lord gave them rest round about." Now, I would just like to make a few applications from these verses for us today. Verse 2, we must be serious with God if we expect His blessings. And certainly we all enjoy the blessings of God. Certainly that's something we want. Yeah, I want to be blessed. I want the Lord to reward me. Yeah, I like that. But are we living a life I shouldn't say worthy of those blessings because truly, humanly speaking, we are not worthy of the Lord's blessings. But are we living a life that is seeking God in His face? You see, God blesses the true seekers. Verse 2, it says that the Lord is with you while ye be with Him. And if ye seek Him, He will be found of you. But vice versa, (laughs) you know, if you don't, he won't. God blesses the true seeker. It's about having first things first, dear people. Note the next number of verses there. Uh, Verse 5, I note that when God is not on the throne, there will not be peace. Don't expect to have peace in life when you're not saying yes to God in all areas of life. If you are not allowing God into certain areas of your life, then don't be surprised when things are all in a tizzy and and you're struggling and you can't seem to have victory and and what's going on here and you're falling. There will not be peace when God is not on the throne of your life. And I note here in this story that that there was conflicts and there was problems and it was, a, it was a, a picture of disaster because God wasn't there. They didn't have a, a, a priest that was teaching them. It says that um, there was great vexations. They were without the true God. They were without law. It was a picture of desolation. And they suffered greatly for that. But when our desire is for God and His Word... When our desire is to be completely open and honest and transparent before Him who who actually knows us through and through anyway, then we experience abundant joy and peace. Verse 8, I note here a leader who rallied the people. It was a leader who recognized the need and he said, we have got to do something about it. There's problems here. What can we do? And so I ask you this morning, are you recognizing the needs in your life? You see, a complacent person doesn't see any need to change. I mean, why be radical about it? I, I came to the Lord back a number of years ago. I've always, I already did that. You know, a, a, a person that is, is complacent, they just don't see any need to, to be so radical about it. 
But a person who has a desire to be zealous about God and His Word, they're quick to see needs in their life. Oh, yes, I, I understand that. Thank you, Lord, for showing that, you know, bringing that to my attention. And, and I need to do better in that. Is there something in your life, perhaps, uh, that is taking that highest place that God requires? See, God is not Lord uh, when He is second or third place. God requires the highest place in our life. Verse 9, it's beautiful to see how that when the work of God is active and evident in our lives, it is attractive. (laughs) Yeah, it doesn't, no, I shouldn't say yeah, but no. No, it doesn't draw people to ourself, but it points them to the Lord Jesus Christ. It certainly does. And we see that picture here where the people all around them saw that something was different. Something is changing here. Something is happening. That's beautiful. And they said, how can I be a part of that? How can I have what they have? There's something different about their life. And it says that people came to them out of abundance. People just poured in because they wanted what they had. They saw that the Lord his God was with him. You know, when the work of God is active and evident in our lives, it attracts people. It points people to Jesus Christ. Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify you. No, glorify your Father which is in heaven. Verses 11 through 13 here, we see the seriousness of this commitment. And I'm reminded of Joshua's words when he says, you know, do what you think is right. You know, if you think this is better, fine. If you think this is better, whatever. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And I see that commitment, that same kind of commitment in these people here. These people were like, it's God and God only. Everything else has to go. We are completely committed to serving the Lord. And I note that We fight complacency with purposeful action. We fight complacency with purposeful action. Not just meaningless action. I don't mean just simply looking right, dressing right, talking right. No. Action with purpose that is from the heart. And here, in these verses, I note purposeful action. Verse 10, it says, they gathered. Verse 11, they offered. Verse 12, they entered. Verse 13, it says they were serious. Uh, verse 14, they swore or they, or they had an oath and, and that was very serious. That meant serious business. But, you know, seek is an action word. It's something that requires something from us. A person who is committed will continually seek after God. And the fact that these people here entered into a covenant showed really how serious they were. Covenants were not something to be taken lightly. Verse 15. We have the the ending result here of this commitment to follow after Jesus, to follow after God and His Word. You know, when we are willing to sell out to Jesus Christ, then we can experience joy. We can experience rest we can experience courage in life to face the unknowns, the difficulties. Note the words all 
and whole. Verse 14, actually it's verse 15 there. They rejoiced at the oath, for they had sworn with all their heart, and they sought him with their whole desire, and he was found to them, and there was rest. Completely, you know, God requires our all. He requires our all. And here's a people that they saw a need. They were made aware of a need in their life. And they said, yes, we're willing to do what it takes. This might not be easy. We're going to have to sacrifice some things here. But we're willing to do what it takes because our relationship with God is that important. It's that important. I say, what a beautiful example of people who are passionate for the things of God. I say the cure for complacency is having a red-hot zeal for God and His Word. And so what is your temperature this morning? Are you on fire for the Lord? Or do you see that perhaps you have grown lukewarm in your relationship? And just as that invitation was still open to the church at Laodicea, it's still open to us today as well. And Jesus is saying... I'm standing at the door. I'm knocking. If you'll hear my voice and open the door, I'll come in and and I'll have a relationship with you. That's what Jesus is wanting to do in our lives today. There's a little song that me and my family would like to to sing together here at at the closing of this message. And so y'all can go ahead. Those of you who are able can go ahead and come up here. But it's a song that speaks about complacency. uh, But it doesn't end with complacency. It also gives a cure for complacency. And so we'd like to sing that together for you. My eyes are dry, my faith is old, my heart is hard, my prayers are cold, and I know how I ought to be alive to you and dead to me. What can be done to an Soften it up with oil and wine. The oil is you, your spirit of love. So wash me anew in the wine of your.